man, sometimes when we're doing this experiential work in EFT, sometimes it's really hard to know like, wow, how deep is deep enough? Are we working in the right place? You know, are we really moving up this mountain at all? Are we getting anywhere into accessing the inner world of our clients? Well, today I've brought along someone I think might help us answer that question to know, are we making progress? Are we really working in the right spot? Stay tuned. Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. We always want to be able to help you all out to take this process of EFT that's so experiential, working with people's experience and help make it as clear as we can to help guide our clients in the place that doesn't always feel so clear to them. So I've I had the benefit of being mentored by someone who I think really helped me understand why we go for depth of experience, particularly in stage two, and then how can we help make that clearer using the levels of experiencing scale. So today I have the honor of having with me Dr. Catherine Ream of the Washington Baltimore EFT Center with us today and also the EFT Cafe. So we have a collaboration happening of like success and vulnerability, leading edge in the EFT Cafe and really an honor and pleasure to have you here, Catherine Ream. Oh, such an honor and privilege to be with you, James. Thanks for the invitation. All right. Well, so I guess I want to start off today, and once again, the focus for us today, because we like to make sure people understand, we're really looking at the power of, of somewhat limbic revision, but also this tool that we use in out, or the process research for EFT, the levels of experiencing scale. But I just got to tell people, like, what really, when I thought about having you on, it's this quote I heard Catherine say about, we have to have deep limbic experience to have deep limbic revision. Mm-hmm. Catherine, this is your chance. <laughs> Help me understand what do you, what are you telling us here, Catherine? Yeah, so that's that's a version of what's in the book called the General Theory of Love, mm. and and in that book, it's a lovely book that I think we should all read and reread. They talk the three authors talk about first get in limbic resonance. And so as an EFT clinician, my first task is to get in resonance, which is described, defined on page 169 of the book, a symphony of mutual exchange and internal adaptation whereby two mammals become attuned to each other's inner state. Mm. So what does that mean? Go ahead, James, if I'm cutting. No, you're good. Keep going. Okay. What that means for me as an EFT therapist is I'm making space for the client's inner world. I want to feel the pull, the lure of their limbic experience. And I let myself be pulled into their experience. I, in a way, we talk about loaning our limbic system out to the clients. We're running empathy sometimes as defined or described as um, processing the client's pain and suffering, fear through our own nervous systems, through our own limbic systems. So when we feel the Pull of our client's limbic experience, we're getting in limbic resonance. Mm-hmm. And limbic resonance is the precursor to what is considered to be limbic regulation. Wow. And because a limbically able other always has to steady somebody who's limbically tumbling out of control. So let me let me flip that quote. One person can steady 
the limbic system of another. And our clients are are the our people, our family members too, our clients and their distress are key moments when we as a clinician use our limbic system to steady theirs. Because that's the start of what Jim Cohn would talk about as co-regulation, limbic regulation. We we learn limbic resonance by being and get limbically regulated by being in the presence of a limbically able other. Mm. Wow. That hits we me. We don't yeah. go ahead. Sorry. No, you're doing good. I love the excitement. One, I wish I could was, some of you might get to see because we're gonna record this Catherine's excitement. Yeah. But when you say that, like a limbically able other. Yeah. And the language you use about we have to allow ourselves to be pulled into the limbic experience with our clients to get mm-hmm. resonance in order to get regulation. Mm-hmm. I like that clarity yeah. of that layout. Like there's a self of the therapist okay. piece in there, but I, I love your language, Catherine. Thank you so much. Keep yeah. Going. Yeah. There is a big self of the therapist piece because many of us will feel it'll feel risky to let our limbic systems be the priority mm-hmm. rather than our cognitive parts of our brains. What am I doing? What should I be mm-hmm. doing? The steps and stages, the tango moves, whatever we might be thinking about. And so the, the, the letting ourselves be pulled or lured by the client's limbic experience um, puts a different emphasis on the present moment, always from a position of affect or attachment, prioritizing their felt sense So we go from limbic resonance to some limbic regulation, probably with the clinician first before the partner is able to provide it if we're talking about couple therapy or even an EFIT, you know, the imagined other or the other part of self Mm. or the empty chair, however we all do versions of that. And so limbic resonance to get some limbic regulation, which is necessary to then get limbic revision. So it's that order. It's a distilling, as we do already so well in EFT. It's the deepening and a distilling limbic resonance to limbic regulation to limbic revision. Okay. Okay. So let me make sure I really got these pieces you're putting here. So we've got to let them pull into a limbic experience. We've got to let the limbic experience of our clients pull us. And that means our limbic experience is going to come into it as well. Yeah. Then that brings the resonance because now they feel us feeling with them, which yeah, kind of opens lovely. up the gates in a way Beautifully for the possibility said. of limbic regulation. And then that's where we get to then from that regulation place and they get the co-regulation. They can then yeah. have revision. Am I getting yeah, I right? love what you just said, James. They, we let, sorry, you, you set up beautifully and I'm, I lost it. They let, we let them. They, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> they let us feel alongside them, yes, something like yes, that, but yes. you said it so well. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's okay. I love yeah. that. I mean, I like the clarity of that. And that makes it seem like that, that helps me understand your quote now, you know, from mm-hmm. the general theory of love about yeah. why that limbic experience is necessary. Because it's that's like true. they can't get revision outside of that, which is why we believe in the experiential nature of EFT. That's right. And we don't go from little or low experiencing or no experiencing to limbic revision. That's right. There's a very clear, predictable process. This is where the experiencing scale dovetails so beautifully with the what's what's shared and the research mm-hmm. shared in a general theory of love. Mm-hmm. I use the experiencing scale to help me know, are, are, do I have enough resonance to help the client feel regulated? Mm-hmm. And from a place of regulation, where, where where's my depth of experiencing? Where's the level of experiencing to make sure I'm working towards and creating limbic revision? Wow. 
Wow. So they're, they're two sides of the same coin in a way for me. Okay. So let me stay here then with you since we you brought in, because I did want you to talk about the levels of experiencing scale, because really yeah. my introduction to it was really through you, then reading mm-hmm. your research on withdrawal re-engagement. So mm-hmm. kind of help us understand what we need to know maybe as EFT practitioners about the mm-hmm. levels of experiencing scale. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just trying to get myself attuned to the best place to start describing the experiencing scale. Firstly, it's used in all EFT process research. And so it is in large part why I chose for my dissertation to do an analysis of the withdrawal engagement process, because I had always wanted to learn the experiencing scale. I had no idea what might be involved. I didn't know if we were going to be tracking water in people's eyes or the flushing of the skin, or I was like, what's the measure? What's the unit of measure? And what it is, what the unit of measure is, is observation, therapist observation, therapist and client observation, which is so different than client self-report. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the experiencing scale is a seven level measure developed by Jenlin of the focusing mm-hmm. approach to help clients go closer to their pain and suffering, make experiential contact with their pain and suffering, befriend their inner worlds in order to glean the intelligence that's embedded for all of us in our emotion. Whoa. Whoa. So that's a nugget right there. Okay. To make contact with their pain and suffering, to glean the wisdom from it. Wow. hmm Yeah, most of us want the wisdom, you know, Daniel Goleman's books, you know, I'm dating myself and I've lost track of the year published for social intelligence or emotional intelligence. I think both titles are his, but we all want the wisdom, as you just said, James, we all want the intelligence that's embedded in our emotion to be available to us. We want to access it. We want to be socially intelligent, emotionally intelligent. And yet we try to do that cognitively. We try to do that from a top down perspective which is working against the very nature of the limbic system, orienting us to our survival. Mm. And if we're not in survival, thankfully, orienting us to our possibilities of thriving. Mm. And so in order to have this, this visceral reaction, this uh, intuition that's constantly guiding us to, in moments, survival, but in other moments, possibly thriving, we need to be having a relationship with our own inner world. And that's how we glean the wisdom out of the emotion, the biochemical, emotional, affective experience Mm -hmm. that is constantly coursing through our nervous systems. Wow. Okay. So thank you for helping us understand the function of this scale to help the clients make contact with and to help us be able to, what I liked about it was maybe that's kind of coming from, I was in a nursing background and Mm -hmm. maybe I could come at things. It just, it gave me a way to help make it a little less mysterious is what I appreciated that's, about the scale. That's so important, James, for you and me and so many others. The mystery of the depth in EFT, I, you know, has always been always been a wondering for me. As you said in the opening, how do we know that the depth we have is deep enough? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I can't imagine doing EFT without the experiencing scale these days. And I I learned the experiencing scale in 2009 and 2010. I defended early in 2011. So it's been a good 12 years that I I don't do EFT without 
referencing in my own head and heart, the experiencing scale. And sometimes I even show it to the client. Like I have the short form of it on my desk and you can see how tattered it is. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's like, and clients sometimes take pictures of it because it guides, I say, hang on, I need to, I need not only me to have clarity, but the, the two of you, because I'm almost exclusively a couples therapist, the two of you to have clarity around how this level four in the experiencing scale is the turning point to mark the beginning of the stage two EFT stage two change events. Mm. This measure, and Sue included it in her attachment theory and practice book, 2019. And I was really happy to see that she included it because I've always loved it. I don't feel like it gets the the airtime I think it deserves. I think it's so useful. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, just one little piece about the seven levels, level mm-hmm. four, description of feelings and personal experiences, self-descriptive, associative. I'm associating with my inner world as I'm working through a session of therapy. Emotion is the basic datum of the conversation between client and therapist, not the events, not my behavioral reactions too, but emotion is the basic datum. And that's exactly what our stage two change events want and need and perhaps require also. Whoa. I like that when you said the emotion is the basic datum between the client and the therapist. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we know it's been obviously extensively used for the research component. Help us understand yeah. a little bit more. I know you talked about your client. What does it look like for Catherine Ream to use the levels of experiencing scale in her day-to-day yeah. practice with, with her clients? Yeah. So I have a few notes. Um, so from the um, focusing website, the observational cues of the scale constitute mm-hmm. not only research specificity, but enable an equally specific practice for, mm. for those of us in practice and therapeutic practice, as I consider myself to be. The experiencing scale defines clients implicit beginning and lead. So their emerging experience. These are the points when the client is momentarily sensing something mm-hmm. that doesn't yet have words or images affiliated with it. Mm. The therapist picks up on that sense. This is where attunement comes in. Okay. The therapist picks up on that sense and responds to it, and it becomes the next priority, the next clinical priority. You know, Jen Lynn and Rogers were fans of present moment experiential therapies. Mm-hmm. We're always looking for and finding the next best place to work. Mm. And so the client feels something implicitly, not yet have words or images with it, but the therapist slows the process. Maybe the clinician felt something also because emotion is contagious, right? To yeah. ensure our survival. And we in EFT really benefit or maybe need to benefit from the contagion of emotion to help us with our attunement, to help us with our depth of experiencing, to help us go from re- limbic resonance to regulation to revision. Therapists and clients frequently understand the content and emotion correctly, but miss or close off these implicit leads that are somewhat subtle at times, quiet. Um, Can I share more of the overview? And then I'll, it's kind of a long way to answer your question, James, about how I use it in practice. That's all right. Keep going. Okay. I just like to highlight the relevance for clinicians. Researchers have found that the client depth of experiencing in therapy as measured by the experiencing scale is consistent related to positive treatment outcomes. Sue quoted this 2004 study in her book, 
Attachment Theory and Practice on page 53. High emotional arousal plus reflection on that arousal distinguish between good and poor outcomes in therapy. This makes sense. Deeper experiencing does not just measure arousal, but it measures a person's or a client's ability to reflect upon and make sense of their arousal, right? It's if we're just doing emotional arousal, we'd be talking about venting and catharsis. Mm. But the ability to let the emotion come alive on the inside, to make contact with it, mm-hmm. to share it with a limbically able other, i.e. us. Mm-hmm. And then reflect on that emotional arousal is is where we really get the depth of experiencing and the benefits of that kind of experiencing. We have to be able to make sense of our arousal, not just either just detach from it or ride the huge waves of it and be overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. Numerous studies summarized confirm the power of actively moving into and processing the moment-to-moment emotional experience. This is what EFT therapists do is actively move into the affect. Mm -hmm. We're we're looking for the unprocessed pockets of pain. We're looking for, you know, you've heard me say before, unprocessed pain tweaks behavior. Well, why is that, right? When our pain or fear goes unprocessed, it limits our window of tolerance. It makes us more emotionally rigid. And when we have a narrow window of tolerance or we have emotional rigidity or lack of emotional flexibility, it limits. We have we have fewer behavioral choices. Mm. We have fewer actions available to our brains in the moments when we need to take action. And so we we as humans are, you know, our life gets smaller and smaller, the less we actually befriend our emotional arousal. Wow. Like and that's it. kind of my mission. That's why EFT is so relevant for me 20 years into practicing EFT. It's like it remains relevant. It is still my North Star, thankfully. Always grateful to Sue and others. And it's like, wow, you know, there's just no there's no better model to help clients gently and kindly move closer to their affective experience let it linger, Mm -hmm. let themselves linger in it because we're directing and prompting them to linger and then have them reflect on the emotional arousal they feel and ride it. It will be a much gentler ride than the overwhelming. I go up here like big waves of emotion when I, when I think of catharsis or venting. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I appreciate your heart and your passion to fight for and shine this light on this particular tool. And I'm glad I got to, you know, as my mentor, for you just mm-hmm. to show me this and teach me this to help understand, like, how do I know? Like, are we really moving? And it's not just measured in tears. It's not just measured, like you said, in the flushing of the face or yeah. the deep breaths and the ways that our clients sigh. Nice but it's breath. like, wait, is this client, is, is they are they making contact with themselves? And are they mm-hmm. bringing themselves into this story? Are they mm-hmm. only focused on the external parts, you know, like at level mm-hmm. three, they can reflect on themselves and some other emotion, but it's the external. But then mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, wait, then you said like let stage two, it's I'm talking about it as it's happening inside my body in this right. moment. And I'm even taking the risk to put words to it, to make it seen as it's coming up in me in the present moment, which lets me know like, whoa, we're really getting somewhere here. You feel That's that in right. your body right now. It's happening Mm -hmm. as you look into the eyes of your partner right now. Whoa. That tells me like we've gotten down the levels of experiencing skin. And for me as a clinician, it says, camp out here, James. 
<laughs> I love that. Camp out here. You're in it. Like yeah. they're in it. Yeah. They're feeling it. It's alive. Yeah. yeah. Man. And you know, yeah. this also, I don't know if you remember this moment, Kathy. I'm about to tell a story live now and get your feedback as my supervisor. Okay. okay. When I did the live for in Washington, Baltimore, and we had the one person, you remember the story? I do. I do. I do. And I felt so, because she was experiencing it very so viscerally, and it looked like mm-hmm. she was nauseous and she was going to pass out. And the mm-hmm. nursing part of me kicked in, mm-hmm. and I wanted to rescue her out of it. Mm-hmm. And Catherine in a very, exactly. Thank you for your validation there. Mm-hmm. Of She's course. Very, Makes perfect. Perfect and sense. I loved what you said. And it, some people can be like, oh, my gosh. Catherine Reem <laughs> said, so, James, what happened? And I was like, well, I wanted to rescue her because she felt this and she felt that. And Catherine, in good supervision, fact, because she knows I'm a military person, I could take her feedback this way. She says, all right, James, <laughs> next time kick a can over there and finish the mission. <laughs> <laughs> and it could feel like, what, you mean let it, like, but I appreciate what you fought for was that was her moment for limbic revision. That's right. She was nauseous. She said something like she might want to vomit. Yeah. And I always, being a former soccer player, I always, you know, can use my feet to press, to push the trash can in front of her. Mm. And I've done that before. And that's what I pictured you doing in that moment. And so, yeah, give her the can. Let her know it's okay if she vomits. Her body, we trust her body. Yeah. And when someone's nauseous, as hard as it is, because I also so appreciate your heart and mm-hmm. uh, wanting to, her not to feel any unnecessary pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's, so can I go back for some self-supervision now? <laughs> of course. So always. I want to follow what you just said to us earlier. So like I could let her limbic experience pull me and it should, because she was in a very serious part of her mm-hmm. story. She was in level two engagement. It was mm-hmm. happening to her in the moment, which mm-hmm. was the focus for the session. The therapist warned us that they might be in stage two. Yeah. And there was that was resonance. So in that yeah. moment, in a very painful part of her story, I could have, if I went back, I should have resonated with that. Like, oh, gosh, I feel this. I see how weary it makes you, how nauseous mm-hmm. it makes you feel. When you're in that place all alone again, it breaks. I mean, how how adaptive of your body. This is sickening in a way that that, oh, that, that little girl has been left there so long. So can yeah. I stay oh. here? Oh, James, that's right. brilliant. And it's beautiful. What you just did is also break her emotional isolation. Exactly. No, nobody knows how to go closer to someone when they feel nauseous. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, a good parent, a benevolent other might help someone, a young person, you know, hold hold hair back as a yep. visual that I have, rub a back or reassure and soothe. This will be over soon, you mm-hmm. know. But what you just did is you just joined with her mm-hmm. in her angst and her pain and her nauseousness and her limbic experience. Mm-hmm. And that is what breaks a person's isolation, which automatically shrinks the metabolic load of yes. that nauseousness. And then I would have stayed close to her pain where she needed revision. So even if I could have, instead of moving out, I could have leaned in something like your partner's right here. He wants to see Mm -hmm. this. I could have resourced her that way. Beautiful. Or something like, because it was was kind of like a a version of her younger self. And this Mm -hmm. older, wiser you was here to witness this now. Uh Because whoever came for that little girl when she felt these, no one did. So I'm like, I could have stayed and then just help regulate with resource and then went for revision that way. James, I love all of those options. I have the chills. Like <laughs> you just you just gave our listeners three different options to use. Yourself as a clinician, mm-hmm. her partner in therapy, an older 
part of self or mm-hmm. a younger part of self. And now she's a great high functioning adult. Mm-hmm. And so she can know that she's addressing her younger part of self. So all of that, I love how you softened your voice and slowed your, your, the pacing of your voice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just gave her so, so much. There's just beautiful resourcing, no matter which way you might've chosen to go. Mm. So kicking the can to her, pushing with, with my foot, pushing the trash can in case a client feels sick is just like, it's okay. Yeah, It's an implicit message that whatever's happening for you, none of it's a problem. That's right. It's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, this is, you know, you might've heard me t- tell the story before James is I asked my dentist why, you know, all of us know we should floss, right? Mm-hmm. How many of us, and I'm not asking for us to raise hands, but how many of us would agree that we probably should floss more regularly? And so I asked my dentist, how come people don't floss? Like we're smart. We know we know we should. We know we need to. It's not hard. It doesn't take long. You know, I was thinking to all the barriers and he knows that the dentist knows a little bit about what I do. And he said, you know, the answer to this. And I was like, no, I don't think I do. And he said, people don't floss because it hurts. And I said, all right, I do know the answer to that people Mm. don't stay with their pain. And people don't want to do things that might cause pain like flossing. And what you just did for that client is say implicitly and maybe perhaps explicitly, could we stay with your pain right here? I'm with you. Your partner's right here. We're not turning away. We're not getting squeamish. Trash cans right there if you need it. Mm. This nauseousness is sickening. This feeling you've had, no one's ever helped you make sense of it. Mm -hmm. And here we are. Could we stay right here on the inside? What's happening for you? Yes. You said that all of that so beautifully and better, James. And and to also stay with what you're saying, because in the focus of this spot is because that's where she would have gotten some revision of her kind of adaptive strategy because yeah. because she knows no one's coming. She has to kind of divorce from that, that experience to right. in order to protect. And that's yeah. where we could have the, had limbic revision in a way. Yeah. And the EFT therapist is deliberately looking for and working towards those moments. Mm. And I think that's a mindset, a paradigm shift for some clinicians learning EFT because other models don't have that priority. Mm. But we are deliberately looking for and seeking out and maybe orienting the client, organizing the clients towards their pockets of pain because we know unprocessed pain limits our life options, limits Mm. our behavioral choices, limits our body's responses. And that perpetuates negative patterns of escalation between loved ones. Mm. Y'all, can y'all please take in what Catherine's doing? Have you noticed throughout this podcast, she has these really quick, powerful lines that she <laughs> and she uses those in sessions too. And they're true, but that's also, it's not just lines. You know, they're also true to her being like, for those of you that will be able to see the video of this, you'll be able to see it yeah. even resonate over her face. So I know I'm yeah. getting off focus here, but I'm going to tell one more nugget while I got you here. And yeah, also in that case, I love there was a powerful lesson. I use this one in trainings now, too, by the way, Catherine. Mm. I remember the therapist had told me what their cycle was. And before we went into the live that day, you said, James, can you tell me the cycle as you understand it? And I told it to you. And being a great supervisor, you said, and James, how does that make you feel as you reflect on this client's cycle? I said, well, it breaks my heart. Mm. And you said, and I don't know if you remember what you said that day. You were like, Repeat it back to me like it breaks your heart, James. Oh, I see. Yes. Now I do remember. And I love that. And I did. And I don't know if you remember, like, so we start the live. They don't know me. 
I'm parachuting into their relationship and the good work they were already doing with their their therapist. Mm -hmm. And I told the cycle as though it like broke my heart in the trueness, like and how and how hard it must be for them in it. And she cries within the first few moments. And I asked her, I said, what's happening here? As I tell your cycle, I see this tear come up. She mm -hmm. said, it's one thing to live it, but it's another thing, going back to what Sue's wise words are, but it's another mm -hmm. thing to have it reflected back to you. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Anyway, for you all, the beginning of your sessions, even work on start getting, getting some of that, letting it, let them pull you into their limbic experience to get mm -hmm. that rest in this. Anyway, that was just, I love yeah. that one. I, I love you recalling and reminding me of that, James, and, and adding to Sue's great words, reflect it back for your clients affectively, because we often are waiting for the client's emotion to draw us in, to feel the limbic pull of their emotion, which is fair and fine, but there are going to be clients and there are going to be times with all clients where we need to drip in the affect, mm. because that instantly the contagion of our affect will work. It, the contagion works bidirectionally. Oh. And that instantly gets my clients in the target zone, especially relevant for stage two sessions. We want to encourage, as we were just talking about, the degree to which the client makes efforts to focus on, expand, and probe their emotional experience. Okay. And so we're helping them. And that your examples, your recent examples, are just beautiful reflections of moments session by session where we're slowing down to go into the client's affective experience. The, the We're asking, the clinician is asking the client to talk from a different place on the inside of them. Mm. That's how we get that quote from Jenlin, emotion needs to be the basic datum of the communication. The clinician invites the client to follow the clinician's lead into affect Linger in the, I love also how Rogers pinged off of Jenlin's great work and, um, you know, Jenlin, Jenlin is, I'll just have it here. Jenlin is experiential and known to be very experiential. Rogers, of course, is known to be client-centered. And so Rogers drew heavily on the work of Jenlin to clarify the moments of incongruence in a client's presentation. And Rogers went on to describe, maybe define, but it's maybe described as a more apt or accurate word, the, the, the gap between someone's present moment experience and their awareness of that present moment experience is where pathology is born. Mm. And so Rogers, unconditional positive regard, client-centered, but obviously, some of us think in grad school, you know, Rogers didn't deal in the world of pathology or diagnosing or, but actually really have this beautiful view on pathology being the gap between a present moment experience and my awareness of that and how far or not, how distant or not am I from my present moment experience. And depending on the size of that gap, that's where his basic thinking on pathology is pathology was born in that gap. The gap of the experience and awareness. Exactly. And that's about personality development as well. And so Rogers really liked to talk about congruence and how we want to have a congruent presentation, verbals, nonverbals, um, facial expressions matching up with affect experience. There are different ways to talk about congruence, but it's in that gap in congruence to congruence or experience and a delay in awareness 
that really be, can become problematic for a person trying to develop or for a relationship reliant on the emotional signal sent also from a general theory of love emotion as the messenger of love. But what happens to me when I'm either delayed or my loved one's delayed in knowing and sharing their emotional experience? My relationship is going to have a push-pull experience. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. And then then it gets staticky and the emotional signal between good people gets all scrambled up. Mm. Man, thank you. And like, And so allowing these levels of experience, like kind of taking everything we've been saying here, being able to, one as a tool for clinicians to know where are we at? What am I needing from you? And how am I even tracking progress? Did we get, mm -hmm. did I get, you know, especially when we talk about in stage one, step three, accessing, am I mm -hmm. really getting access? No, my, they're still there talking about a story, but it's uh -huh. absent of their emotional experience. I got to yeah. work on that next time. Like what's blocking that? What's happening there? Mm -hmm. And then even can they talk about it in the present moment as it's happening and reflect on yeah. themselves and the experience? So yeah. that gives me that but also helping the client because sometimes clients like, what are we doing? Where are we going? And so the, it yeah. helps to say, this is what I'm missing. And this is what mm -hmm. I'm trying to kind of see if I can get this mm -hmm. from you or get this with you. I think yeah. I like that part of it and to know yeah. where we are. And then I think also it helps between that stage one, stage two. Am yeah. I hitting a level four in the experiencing scale? And are we able to comfortably as therapist and client and as the couple that's in the room, can they exist in that space and it feels yeah. safe? And if they do, we're in stage two and let's stay there and see if we can deepen the experience to do mm -hmm. kind of the restructuring work we're talking about, that deep limbic revision work that I love your beautiful words there around that, uh, Catherine. Yeah. 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 To get to the goal of stage two, to achieve the stage two goal of restructuring their bond. Mm -hmm. um, I love how you mentioned step three of the client change process. The steps and stages often corresponds with level three of the experiencing scale. Mm. Personal reactions to external events, yep. limited self-descriptions, behavioral descriptions of feelings. Mm. And so I, in a stage one session, I look forward, I listen for behavioral descriptions of feelings because I know we're getting close, but we're not quite at the level four, the target zone to nudge into stage two, which is descriptions of feelings and personal experiences. Am I associating with my inner world? And I hear myself say in sessions, let me make sure you're associating with your inner world. Could I slow us down, please? On the inside, the sensations your body's having, help, help me know. Let me help repeat the cue you mm. just said, or your person just said, or I just wondered, and something tightened on the inside. And you started telling me about the reaction, your reaction to, and I want to go into the actual tightening up. Because mm. once we have the client experiencing and associating the tightening of their, their stomachs, their heart, their throat. Then level five is elaborating on that tightening, hypothetically exploring, which, which is similar to step five of our model, mm -hmm. the deep intrapsychic, the exploration of each client's inner world. This is why there's not only does the experiencing scale help us know where we are, but there's some real alignment between our client step and stage, step and stage process and the levels of experiencing that aren't hard to recall, right? Yeah. The, the level three is, is similar to step three and stage one. Level five of the experiencing scale is similar to step five, stage two, where we're getting the client to follow our leads into exploring, elaborating on, and perhaps hy hypothetically 
conjecturing what else might be there in terms of their affective experience to get to level six, which is confirming or affirmative. Mm -hmm. There's a clarity about a distilled emotional experiencing in a level six. Mm -hmm. And so EFT research for those interested in research, stage two successful stage two change events have to include levels four, five, and six. There we go. Level six of the synthesis of readily accessible feelings and experiences to resolve personally significant issues. I mean, that I, that's all very wordy. And what am I saying? <laughs> all of this? I want to be relatable, right, for yeah. you and, and the listeners. But a synthesis of readily accessible feelings. This is level six where we don't have to nudge the client towards their affect. They, they already have, as you said, many times over, and I quote you regularly, James, the, the therapist <laughs> has given enough reps. For them to have muscle memory about where they find their pockets of pain and fear. Mm -hmm. They know where their pain and fear lives on the inside of them. And they have readily access to it. And they can experience it more present moment. And that experience resolves the personally significant issues. It's it's integrative, conclusive, or affirmative. Like that's what we're working towards at the end of the stage two change events. Four, five, and six repeated. Four, five, and six of the levels of experiencing scale correlate mm-hmm. with the change events in stage two. Exactly. Okay. And they're actually a requirement if you're doing any stage two research that you hit levels four, five, and six, um, I think three times each to be coded as a successful change event. Whoa. Okay. Thank you for helping uh, helping us understand even like, thank you for that. That helps people that, that do like the research side of EFT That's right. to understand like how did Sue and them come up with this? Well, there was actually something <laughs> measurable here that you, you all held just yourselves to, to come up with the standard. That's right. And so it's, you know, numbers can often overwhelm us, but it's only a cognitive knowing, but oftentimes that cognitive knowing is very, very helpful because then we know where to stay experientially. That's the catch. That's the line right there. The cognitive knowing lets us know where to stay experientially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I like to tell people because I do teach the levels of experiencing scale in my course skills now, or even in, in if I do an externship. Cool. The cool. what I do know of, I don't know it extensively as you, but that's the yeah. hope right there. Is I want you to cognitively know, so that yep. way you know where to stay experientially. Yeah. Yeah, that that to me is what the experiencing scale provides. It's the short form is easy to memorize. You just use it more and more. You get to know it. You don't have to memorize it. But even just knowing level four associate, I need to help you associate with your inner experience. What a line to use too, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're working with a withdrawer, as Catherine Reams' famous words has the steeper up here climb. To give yes. them a reason why you're staying in a place that their security system has told them to stay away from is, I got to yeah. help you associate with this part of you. Yeah. And it's, as we all know, it's really hard on every level to climb a steep hill. But I also find myself saying and believe, I certainly believe it and often say it, that even though it's a hard climb, it's the most worthy, noble climb. And it is the most efficient way to get to where you want to go, which is feeling better connected to your loved ones. Mm -hmm. When I trekked in the Everest region of Nepal and we trekked, you know, in total, you know, I think I want to say over just over 200 miles, but you know, we, uh, we Americans and Europeans are used to using switchbacks up the hill. And these are very steep hills in the foothills of the Himalayas. The Sherpas that we all had and hired, thankfully, they just went straight up and straight down. 
And so it was harder. But that was the trail in the whole Everest region of the Himalayas is up and down because switchbacks were a waste of time. Uh, and so when I think of doing withdrawal re-engagement, I say it's a steep hill and it's pretty straight up. I'll add in as many rest spots and switchbacks as we can. But this is the most efficient way to get there, although it will feel steep and you'll be working hard. Mm. But I'm here with you and we'll do this together because I want you to feel better together as quickly as possible, as efficiently as possible, and as effectively as possible. Wow. Man, Catherine, thank you so, thank you. so much. I mean, there's so many nuggets in this. Just the one helped me. And I hope, you know, from I hope for the listeners, why do we do what we do? Why do we do these hard things? And even sometimes when our clients are in great moments of discomfort, why do we stay there? It's not because we're mean. It's not because we're not caring. But it also, I was you know, talking to my wife, you know, back in the nursing days, it, sometimes it sucked that the thing that we had to do for a, a patient was to do something that was painful for them, but it was also a part of their their recovery or healing process. And that's, that's right. why we stay and do what we do. You that's making right. contact and associating with these disowned parts of you or these mm -hmm. places where you don't even like seeing you, mm -hmm. you have to be able to stay there with you to get a different experience, whether it's in an EFIT type way or in mm -hmm. a with couples way or in an EFT with families type way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I loved, and also your permission today to let ourselves be pulled by the limbic experience of our clients, to mm -hmm. loan we them our limbic experience, right? Yes, mm -hmm. we have to, exactly. We have to be. So there can be some form of resonance. So we can create mm -hmm. resonance not only between them and us, but what if there's their partner or family member in the room? Yeah. So there we can create that resonance to then help yeah. them co-regulate in the midst of that. So that yeah. way they can experience a revision. I love that. Yeah. Catherine. Yeah. 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 Hey, James, I, Claire Rosamond, another EFT trainer from Australia, and mm -hmm. I wrote a book recently. Oh. And we That's just right. heard from the publisher this morning that it will be out in June of 23, June of 2023. Yeah. And all about this, um, you know, I wrote a chapter on fear. It's a workbook, it's an emotionally focused workbook of, to heal heartbreak. Oh. And so I wrote a chapter on fear and uh, writing the ways of anger. And there's a chapter on trauma uh -huh. and building trust with yourself again. And so the experiencing scale is referenced okay, good. in this book. Uh, what's the title of the book and how can we find it when it comes out? <laughs> yeah, the title is an emotionally focused workbook, healing heartbreak session by session. Okay. It's a self-help book for the popular culture, non-clinicians. We think clinicians, we hope clinicians will, um, you know, it have it will be valuable for clinicians to work through with some of their clients. We hope, we think. Okay. Um, it's coming out in June of 2023. That's late breaking. Just this morning, getting an email from the publisher. It's Routledge, the publisher, and it will be available wherever you buy books. So, of course, Amazon is probably what comes to mind most. But and you know, we certainly will let it be known where you can get it when it's available. Awesome. And also tell them about the EFT Cafe and how they could oh. be a part of that as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, the cafe I do with my dear friend and colleague, Jennifer Olin, who's an EFT supervisor. We meet twice a month online. We were online from the very beginning, which was, you know, long before COVID. So we teach twice a month, the first and third Wednesdays of the month. The first Wednesday is always me teaching from one of my real couples in therapy. And the second Wednesday, uh, the second time we meet on the third Wednesday of the month is office hours. And so people who participate in the cafe can send in their questions. 
and we take good time to sort and distill and answer the questions. The next um, window for enrollment, our next launch is starting on Valentine's Day, February 14th. So just a few months away from now. So you can learn more at the EFTCafe.com. You can also, um, from our website, you can give us your email address. So we'll email you directly um, when the enrollment period opens on the 14th of February. And I'd highly recommend Catherine. Like I said, I'm thankful for her and her role in being my EFT mentor when I was mm. a trainer in training. So, and you, your 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 lines and, and wisdom live on in me, Catherine. It is a pleasure to share them now with a leading edge audience. Really thankful yeah. you for your time. Yeah, well, thank you, James, um, for your time. It was such an honor and privilege to come alongside you and collaborate with you as you became a trainer. You're a brilliant trainer. Mm. You provide so much to everybody not only in your podcast, but in every training you've ever offered and will offer. And I'm just, I'm just hmm. happy to have you as a friend. Thank you, Catherine. Appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Really fun to talk to you. I, it's always, you know, we never know how these conversations will emerge and unfold, but I just knew, Oh, talking with James about anything, it's just going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, to the leading edge audience, once again, our heart in doing all of this is to help you push your leading edge of your own process of implementing this beautiful model so that you can help clients in pushing their leading edge. And now you understand a little bit more about why we need to push the leading edge of their limbic experience if we want our clients to truly have healing and to have limbic revision that changes their lives and their relationships. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com and you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Rayner Professional Training and on his website, ryanraynertraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at DocHawkLPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com. Thank you.